0: Welcome, everybody. Mark's my name. I'm glad you're here. If you're uh, one of our church people that attend uh, the Alliance Church, where you you know I just miss you. I, I, I wish things were so different. Some of you I continue to pray for, and I wish I could say hi to you, and there's all kinds of things happening in our church. But it's different, isn't it? I'm glad you're hanging in, and I'm hearing such good things about what's going on through many people. If you're brand new to our church, we're glad you're here. We're honored that you are... Uh, uh, signing in to uh, to our, our church on, online. And we wish that we were in person and we could talk to you a little bit better, but we're, we're doing the best we can. Folks, there's some difficult days that we live in and yet opportunistic days. Difficult in, the, in that we're facing chaos in this pandemic like some have never seen. And a sadness over Nova Scotia issue and the fear of the unknown and the sadness of loss and all that's going on, this, these are dark days for some of us. And yet, some of, some of us are taking these as days of opportunity. We're seeing God provide for us and through us to other people. We're, we are becoming more and more hungry to encounter God. Our small group leaders are rising up and they are shepherding our people well. And people along the way are getting connected to, to us and to Jesus and it's it's why it's 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 fun watching what's going on but as i've prayed about this weekend i believe we need to focus on one little phrase in the book of isaiah the prophet isaiah chapter 6 if you'll turn there i'd appreciate that chapter 6 verse 1 it's just this one little little phrase that I want us to look at. By the way, Isaiah was a major prophet. In other words, he had a large, large scroll that that was written on. It's not that there that Isaiah and the other major prophets' that their message was any better than the the minor prophets. That wasn't it at all. It's all about the size of the scroll. Sixty-six chapters, and I'm going to try to zip through. In fact, we're only going to touch eight verses of chapter six. So we're missing the majority of it, but I think it speaks to where we are at in our lives. And the phrase phrase is that first phrase, chapter 6, verse 1, just the first part. In the year that King Uzziah died, the result was God's people were in huge trouble. You see, uh, Uzziah was an amazing king. started when he was 16 years old and lasted for 52 years. He was the dude. He was a military genius. He fortified the walls and the buildings of Jerusalem. Under him, the Philistines were defeated, by the way. Not even even, uh, uh, Solomon and David did all of that. He was a builder. He was an economic wizard. He was a spiritual leader. And the Bible says that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And yet now, he's dead. And everything stopped. I think there's some parallel there with us. Back then, they faced the death because Syria, one of the countries of its day, was was flexing its muscles and was destroying countries like Israel all over the place. The economy was down. The future looked bleak. The government was in uh, in turmoil. The problem was they didn't have their leader. The rest of the text is this. When the, I, in the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord. The truth is that God is still in the throne of heaven. He is still in control. He has perspective. This wasn't any surprise to him what we're going through these, these days. And yet we get to choose whether we are going to worship or we're going to worry. Whether we're going to run away or stay at where God has placed us to be and become more and more people of strength and faith. He has given us that opportunity. I think the answer to our problem is found in the verses that surround chapters 6, verses 1 to 8. And I want to read that for you. And in respect, please stand as we we read this. Isaiah chapter 6, starting in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs. Each had six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two wings they covered their feet. And with two wings they were flying. And they were calling to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I have lived among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the king the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my lips and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. Lord, teach us what this means today. This is profound stuff. And I pray by your Holy Spirit that you will teach us about holiness and repentance and confession and faith today. That we would be people of worship, not worry. As we are in these dark days. Help us today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. When I was on my very first trip to Israel, uh, that, was, that was where I was being mentored by someone. The, the mentor was Ray Vanderland. And he talked about this text. And I'm going to use some of his stuff tonight, as well as the stuff from Old Testament uh, Challenge, the material that Willow uh, Creek put out a number of years ago, to come up with, I think, some things that we need to understand and take a look at as a church. Let me start this way. How many of us have ever engaged in that great activity commonly known as channel surfing? I will not wait until I hear or see a hand go up because i got no hands here. How have you, and, and has it changed your life? You'll never, I don't think, hear someone say, I stayed up all night channel surfing and I am so glad I did. This day, the next day, I love my wife more than before. I see insights into the scripture I've never seen before. I'm a new man. I don't think so. In fact, psychologists tell us that channel surfing decreases our attention span, decreases our ability to learn, and increases our sense of isolation and passivity. Sad deal. The obvious question to ask is, why do people channel surf? Well, because it's easy. It takes no effort. You can just go like this. It's kind of a brainless deal to spend the time away. Here's the problem. Many times we as Christians... Take that attitude of channel surfing into our worship experience and it's killing us. Isaiah 6 says it gives us a model of worship that is anything but passive. It is very active. This passage in the scripture will will discover that worship is active and costly and authentic worship demands our investment. Every person that's gathered here, usually on Sunday, it has cost them to do that. It's weird because I'm going to talk to you about about, uh, being involved and actively involved. And many of you are today, right now, you're sitting on Lazy Boys with the feet up, where I usually sit as well. This is hard to get to. In fact, um, I, I, I would ask you to help me out a little bit and really focus in just for a few minutes on what authentic worship is and how we need to be authentic worshipers. Authentic uh, worship means we go the extra mile. It's not just our body, it, taking our body to a place and calling it, we worshiped. It's, it's concentrating and sustained attention upon who God is. It's listening to God and what He's saying to us. And here's the truth. Worship is costly, but He is worth it. And everything in our life that is worth is costly to us. Our kids are costly. Our grandkids are more costly, it seems to me. Our wife is costly. In fact, as Diana said, she is inex- uh, inexpensive to feed and very expensive to keep. I understand that in a new way today. Worship is the answer to filled, fear-filled days. And, co- and worship, authentic worship, is what we need to do first and foremost when our Uzziahs die. Uzziah was dead, and Assyria was emerging as a power, as a superpower, and, and eating up the different countries and nations around it. People were nervous. In many ways, it's like where we are today. For some of us, our health is, is wavering. Some of us have lost our jobs. For some of us, our resources, our money is running out. Some of us have the virus itself and you're scared, or if you're not scared for yourself, you're scared for your spouse or your grandparents or people that you know. The authentic worship, our first response, is that we worship God when we when our Uzziahs die in our lives. Isaiah learned this, that when he his, his king died, he turned his eyes from the temporary, from the things of the earth, to the eternal throne in heaven. And he found out that God is still alive and still enthroned. He is in control. Many times we need to reason, or we need to understand first and foremost, that God is our first place that we put faith. That we respond to when Isaiah's died, we don't look at, oh, poor us. We look at who we serve and who we know will take care of us. That being Yahweh. Secondly, authentic worship helps us see God. It gives us perspective and focus. Some of you on sunny days, when the sun's out, you can see all kinds of things, mountains and everything else. When it's all socked in and fogged up, you got to get into a plane sometimes. And when you break out of the clouds and get above that, it's the same day. Perspective has changed everything. And I think that's important for us to understand. We need to see God and we will see God best in the darkest hours of our lives. Thirdly, authentic worship honors God's holiness. Look in verse 2. Above him were the seraphs. Each had six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two wings they covered their feet. and With two they were flying. They were calling back and forth to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. Isaiah tries to put into words that which is impossible to communicate, that being the holiness, the amazingness of God. The heavenly creatures that were there were covering their feet. It was was an act of humility. They were covering their face because who could look upon the face of God? It was a respectfulness. And then this holy, holy, holy phrase. What's that about? We see folks back in in the day, the the Hebrew language, they don't have a way of, of emphasizing something. We would underline it. We would put it in all capital letters. They didn't have any of that. And so they repeated it. Sometimes repeated it twice. Very few times. Only twice in the Old and New Testament as it referred to God. Is it three times? Holy, holy, holy. I want you to notice What that does is it gives us emphasis. But I want you to notice that it doesn't say love, love, love. Or truly, truly, truly. Or beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. It doesn't say that. It says holy, holy, holy. Why? Because God is holy other than we are. And take any example that I can give to you and it isn't good enough. I remember when Diane and I paid good money to get on this boat called the Maid of the Midst and they go take you to the, uh, I mean, they just will push you right into the waterfalls at Niagara Falls. I thought I was done, going to see Jesus any moment. Nothing compared to the holiness of God. There is no example that I can give you to explain and understand the holiness of God because God is holy other. Authentic worship gets set we set aside distractions when we authentically worship. Authentic worship is costly. That means we we want to be on time because that's important. We get enough sleep the night before. And that way we're not tired or done. I understand it's difficult with kids. It's difficult with all getting a whole family just to the church. Forget entering in that much. This is something that we need to really work on if we are going to authentically worship God. It sets aside distractions. It is costly. Sixthly, authentic worship is never casual or half-hearted. People sometimes go from one church to another because they don't like the worship style or they don't like certain things. They're, understanding, they're not understanding that authentic worship is about God alone, not them. Authentic worship also is communal and personal. Communal on the weekends and in your small group if life was normal like it was. But it also is personally through the week. To really be an authentic worshiper, we need both of those in our lives. True worship means that we learn to do what the angels did. They come to the in with their whole personhood, their careful focus of their thoughts and emotions towards God. And when we sing with all of our hearts, even when it, they, we don't really like the way the tune is made, it gives, it, it, it gives us undivided praise and attention to God. Now, many times, In services, we talk about this, and even, uh, I've done this many times, we we go with a blessing or whatever, and and I ask you to do certain things. We're going to stop right now, and we're going to sing a song that all of you probably know by heart. Holy, holy, holy. And I've asked the band to come and do this, our worship leaders to come and do this. And I want to give you the chance to bow your head and a worship. Maybe you need to say you're sorry, Lord. I haven't worshiped like this ever. Whatever he's asking you to do, you might need to get out of the lazy boy. I'll leave that with you. You might want to kneel or stand or just bow your head in quietness. Sing along or listen to the worship leaders lead us, whatever you'd like. But at this time, spend it glorifying God for he is holy So first, folks, we need to worship authentically. Secondly, we should, uh, we should see ourselves in light of who God is. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Woe, it's a word that is is only used for great condemnation. Usually it's used prophetically against nations like Moab or Edom or all those. Only time a prophet has ever been referred to this in himself is in this text. When we look at ourselves in God's presence, often we downplay even our own sin, It's called, psychologically, it's called a self-serving bias. We minimize the reality of our sin and cost to others, and we maximize their sin and cost to us. It's kind of like in the parking lot that we hear. I I wish in our church parking lot it had another two feet or three feet on each side. Because sometimes you open your car door and, oh, it just touches the other guy. Now, if that other car was yours, you'd think, oh, I need a new paint job. But other people, they just kind of, if they touch it and leave a little mark, you just spit on your thumb and get that off. It's no big deal, huh? This self-serving bias is something as we as Christians must deal with, and we do that in the presence of God. Now, many times we say to our, of ourselves, I'm just sharing information to concerned people. But if other people do that, we think they're gossips. Some people say, I'm wisely handling my money. And yet of others, they say, oh, you're cheap. Some people say, oh, I'm pudgy. He's fat. I'm unique. She's a freak. It's it's These people are weird. And I'm okay. And it only is when we worship and God's presence comes to us that we change that. True observation of, this, of the state of the human soul is one of the things that happens when we get into God's presence. Isaiah was, sees the full extent of the darkness and brokenness of his soul. And to, he, and to that, he is undone. Look in chapter 6, starting in verse 6. When one, then one of the seraphs flew over to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the, with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Just take your finger and go like this, just gently. You ever been burnt by coals? I stepped on a barbecue coal once that was stepped on. It was on a beach, and the sand was on top of it. I didn't see it. Stepped on that thing. Wow. Amazing burn. What would that do to your mouth? Now, this was a vision. I get it. But there would be pain to this. Isaiah is learning a lesson. And the dream and the vision that he gives us is repentance is very painful. Imagine what that would have been like. You standing there and that angel coming to you with this coal in his hand. And he's going to put that on your mouth. True confession brings a real pain. And real repentance makes us feel deep, deep pain. I want to remind you that God's goal is not simply to primarily spare us from pain. It is to redeem our character so we become more and more like Him. Experiencing remorse and sorrow over sin is an important part of the process of confession and repentance. And someone who harms others and feels no remorse or no sadness... They really have a spiritual issue and problem. Years ago, not in this church, another church, I said something that was stupid and hurtful about a friend of mine. I didn't mean to do it that way. I was making a comment. I don't know if I was thinking it would have been funny. I have no recollection of that whole thing. All I know is I hurt my friend. And I thought at first it wouldn't travel, but it did. And I knew I needed to go apologize to him in person. And the apology needs to be heartfelt. You know, I remember parking my car and walking up his driveway. That was the longest driveway in that, my repentant stage or state that I had ever been in. It, it seemed like an hour going up his driveway. It was just a regular driveway but I'll never forget his face when I confessed to him and said, this is what I said, and it's totally my responsibility, and I feel terribly wronged, or wrong, and I want you, please forgive me. You know, folks, when we go through stupid things like that, there's something in our soul that says, never again. It bolsters our soul against sin. When we take opportunities like that and repent, And there's the pain that goes along with that. Pain and and repenting is simply agreeing with God that what we have done is wrong. And once we're going one way, by repenting we go the opposite way. Simple as that. And it comes from, from God leading us to repentance. It says in James chapter 4, verses 8 to 10, Come near to God and he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. In Psalm 51, 8, it talks about how God, in Psalm, when he was repenting, said, let me hear the joy and gladness, and let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Sin causes us pain. It's like crushing our bones and building our our spirit again differently, but without sin. Maybe today there's some here who need to have a little glimmer of themselves in light of the awesome holiness of God. Maybe some need to see the ruin that sin causes in our lives and in other people's lives because of us. We might become, we might we might need to just take time to see what God would change in our lives if we open our, the door of our life to the light of God Himself with His holiness and His hope. So again, many times we would, we would conclude the, the singing and everything here and send you home, but not give you time in the service itself to repent. To confess of sin, nothing out loud, it can all be quietly in your heart, but to do just that, I'm asking you now to bow your head and to ask, Lord, is there something today that I need to repent of? And so, in quietness, let's confess the sin that God wants us to, and let's repent. And anything that we need to make right, make a commitment now that we will go and do that. Let's quietly pray together. Holy Spirit, continue to speak to us and through us today. We apologize, and we ask for your forgiveness. And we count on the promise of 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sin, because you are faithful and just, you'll forgive us our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Give them courage to do the right thing. Change their hearts, we pray. And may they know that you have heard them and have forgiven them. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, lastly, how should we respond? I think we need to respond by allowing God to speak to us and obeying what he asks. In verse 8, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? It's not that God didn't have anybody. But he is asking and allowing Isaiah to say, hey, send me. Here I am. I'm, I want to be an authentic worshiper. And what God does often when we worship, when we repent, when we get things right, is he gives us a call he, he reveals God's mission of what he wants to do in us and through us. He gives us responsibility. And secondly, as an authentic worshiper, he, he moves us to obedient action. Not just more lazy boy stuff, but immediate action. And in that text later in the book of Isaiah, he is called, the Jewish people are called to be a light to the Gentiles. I don't know what God is calling you to do. But you need to ask him. And let Him not only show you, but empower you to do what He's asking you to do and to be what He is asking you to be. So as we wrap this up, as we think of all that's going on in these days, the sadness in Nova Scotia, the dark days where people are are angry and grieving there, and the sadness across our country about what's going on in our country and, and our many people that are so deeply wounded with what's going on with this pandemic. Don't just get afraid and worry. Choose to worship authentically. One more time. In the year the King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted, and his train of his robe filled the temple may he fill your life and lead you in obedience in jesus name